Welcome to the Stockman Grass Farmer Podcast, where our mission is to help create a healthy planet and people through profitable grass-based livestock production. Grass farming is a 24-7 job and you can't always get away, so we've put together this podcast so that you can listen while you work or whatever you're doing, but always on your schedule, whenever and wherever you want. Be sure to check out the episode notes for links to freebies and special offers. Join our email family and stay up to date on our happenings and like us on social media. This is part two of Anabolic's discussion of qualities and attributes of forage-fed beef. Uh, we find, um, I'm not going to go back to that tomorrow, but we find that sometimes with our first grazing in fall of these winter annuals, like cereal rye or cereal oats, uh, triticale, when it's short, and we, we rush to graze because we, the, it's getting ahead of us and we want to have that first uh, uh, pass. Sometimes they have 11-12% dry matter. It's a lush looking, nice looking piece of grass, but it's mostly water. So when we make the, the figures and calculate how much the animal is eating a day, we may end up finding that it's eating 1.5% of its body weight or 2%. And then on top of that, that's way uh, unbalanced grass because it has a lot of nitrogen, soluble nitrogen in it, high protein. But how do we measure protein in these forages that I'm talking about here? Do you know? We say it's, oh, we're grazing triticale and it's 18% uh, crude protein. Wow, it's great. How did we measure that? We went for nitrogen, total nitrogen in, in, in our analysis, okay? Total nitrogen. So it was 4% nitrogen. And that's a tremendous amount of nitrogen. And then we, we say 4%, 4 times 6.25, and we say, okay, it's 18 or 20% crude protein. But it's just a calculation. It's not the actual protein. It's not real, true protein. It's just nitrogen in, in its uh, diverse forms in the plant going towards protein. But it's not protein yet. Or even if it is protein, it's so soluble and so degradable that when it hits the rumen, the bacteria in the rumen degrades that so fast that creates a lot of ammonia and urea. And getting rid of urea is the most expensive thing the animal has to do, energy-wise. And why does it have to make urea? Because ammonia is so toxic, you all know about ammonia toxicosis, that once the nitrogen, nitrogen is in the rumen and it's getting into the ammonia form, remember there is no oxygen in that rumen, so it has to be eliminated as ammonia. Ammonia is so toxic that the rumen right away produces urea. It's less toxic, but it is toxic anyway, so we eliminate that nitrogen. We don't capture that nitrogen as protein in the microbial mass. We lose a lot of that nitrogen through the urea cycle, which is energy expensive. So we're not creating energy and, and, and actual food for that animal. And we're using energy to get rid of that toxin, of that toxic nitrogen. Are you following with me with this? So that creates the, what we call the, the low gain fall, the fall syndrome, low gains in fall. The unbalanced <coughs> grass. We're going to go back to that here. So uh, I'm going to keep talking about always uh, when we work on these programs, uh, we want to have uh, 
fair gains, good gains, high gains, we need to slow the pace or the, uh, the speed at Russia, the rushing into this pastures to graze them when they're too short. And more so if you're under irrigated conditions that you have the water. Uh, one more thing there, nitrogen is absorbed by, by these grasses in a passive way. It pump, pumps water up and carries nitrates with it. You can't, can't get rid of them. I mean, if it's pumping water, it's going to be bringing nitrates from the soil. It's a passive. You cannot avoid that. And the plant then has to do something with that. And many of these plants just store that nitrogen in circulation there. And so we have measured up to 25% crude protein in alfalfa fields or uh, some of these fertilized uh, uh, triticale and other annual, winter annuals. What does it do to the animal? Low gains, close to toxicity, scouring. I mean, the animals get really loose. And uh, think about a dairy that has a, a dairy herd on a uh, complete uh, uh, diet, well-balanced, and you get that dairy cow and move that cow to uh, this sort of a grass, this washy feed, what is going to happen to her? She dies. Because she's going to try to eat so much, and that's going to be an overload of nitrogen without an adaptation, without the liver adapted to process all that, that she's going to die of ammoniosis, ammonia toxicosis. Hmm? So it is a balance there. We need this green, growing, nice forage, but it has to have uh, digestible fiber in it. It has to have a moderate level of protein, not an excessive amount, and uh, a minimum level of dry matter. If we are close to 20%, 22%, we are above the, the hump. The animals really man handle well forages that have 20%, 22% dry matter. If they are below that, that forage is too washy, it's too much uh, water. The first thing, again, we heard there is intake because that excessive amount of water. The next thing we heard is the mineral balance. The, the animals start scouring and they lose a lot of minerals. And maybe also we have an excessive amount of nitrogen and we may be also creating a, uh, a toxicity problem there with the excess ammonia. This is to, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you, you know all this, but yeah. I, I, keep, <laughs> I keep talking about this because this is critical when you have a steer or an animal like in the picture there that uh, it's getting almost ready to harvest and you say, now, now for the last push, the last two weeks, I'm going to put that steer on this nice green lush forage and just blow your gains and your performance that you, all, your, all your efforts from the previous months is going to go down the tubes and then you have to wait two more months or three months to get that animal back in, in shape and, 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 and health and condition to be an animal that would create a desirable eating experience and won't have this off flavor, odd flavors in the meat. So basically, what, what uh, the stool of the animal, how, how do you like it to look when it comes out the, uh, the back door? Well, <laughs> uh, I have pictures there, but... 
Mark? Well, I mean, you know what it, it should look like. It, <laughs> I mean, the degree of what you're calling washy. It, well, yeah. If you, too tight. Is that, is that a good indication? Of if it is too tight, it's going to be an excessive amount of fiber and undigestible fiber. Mm -hmm. It has to keep its shape and form. It's like, you know, like a little pie. It, it, it's going to be on, on the wet side. Mm -hmm. And every, every now and then you have animals that are um, a little loose, and that's okay. The problem is when each one of them, all of them, are running, uh, uh, you know, with, with these watery feces that they don't, they don't, they don't really f make a, f uh, a pie anywhere. So that's the first indication of, of what you're explaining here. Exactly. Yes, but once you are there, you are a little late. Right. See, once you have the animals scouring, and and I have people at home saying, well, maybe they're having too much water. They're drinking too much. So they're going to cut the water from them, the water supply. Oh, man, that's good. If you have a, the same situation and you don't drink any water, think about you <laughs> having the scours and, then, and not even being able to drink water. The dehydration is, is going to kill, end up killing everybody. So don't think that you have to cut the water because they're, having, they're drinking too much from the grass because they're two different things. They're, they have, a, they have an imbalance. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, what kind of hay. We will go back to that tomorrow. Um, so I went off the, <laughs> the trail here, but uh, I think that makes a little bit of sense when we start talking about all these things about tenderness uh, and, and fatness and how to get to this uh, desirable finishing. The, on, the only thing we have in hand to measure what we're doing is weighing, is to have an estimate of the animal gains. Gains are a relative indicator of performance because you may say, yeah, two pounds a day may be something that would put gains and fattening in this three, four frame score animals, but maybe not, you know, may not be enough for a six frame animal, frame six animal. Yes, you're right. Gains are not the best estimator of fattening, but what, what else do we have in hand to, to do uh, this practically and, 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 and in a ch cheap or you know, not too expensive way. We could ultrasound the animals, but we don't want to ultrasound them all the time. And we don't, be, we don't want to be ultrasounding every, every, every 20 days or every 30 days to look at the degree of fatness. And, and if you have uh, three, 400 animals, it's not feasible to ultrasound each one of them on a monthly basis. But you can weigh. And what we have learned at home is that the, at least if you, if you gain, I would say, above a pound and a half a day with this medium frame type of animals, most likely you are not just put laying growth and, and muscle and bone, but, but fat. You're gaining some uh, intramuscular fat and, and back fat also. So at least a pound and a half should be the target to uh, start just, not just growing the animal, but laying some fat. If you, if you ask me, my, my target is two pounds a day in my head. Two pounds a day, I target for that. If you could be above that, great. Three pounds a day, better. On grass, you will never be over fattening, like I said. There are people that have measured on, on green corn, grazing sorghums or grazing green corn, they have measured uh, four pounds a day but for 15 days, maybe less than a month. I want two pounds a day, three months in the year. 
So more consistent and, and uh, uh, even gain uh, at the end. So we're going to go back to that over and over. Let's, let's continue on here. Uh, what did you do here? Did we? Okay. Um, <clears throat> do you have any batteries for this? Uh-huh. Was scared. Uh, what we did here is we went ahead and uh, had a pasture uh, treatment here, try, um, um, control treatment here, and then we uh, feedlot finished these animals on 100% uh, hay diet and a 40% hay. And um, again, we were looking at comparing the performance um, over 100 days. Um, These animals here were gained faster on this high concentrate ration. Seems to be working a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. I'll change in a minute. Um, but uh, when we look at the, the size of the carcasses and the ribeye, the length and width of these muscles, they're not extremely different. So what I'm trying to say here is that if you have a performance on your pasture-based uh, animals that uh, it's not too bad, they're performing well, I wouldn't expect much smaller animals or you know, little animals because we hurt them. We're not really hurting them if we're, if we're feeding them well, and growth will happen normally. Does it make any sense? So we don't need to put the animal in a feed yard, on a feedlot, to have a normal growth and, and size. We are not creating dwarfs here. We're not creating small animals. We are developing or growing animals that grow normally on pasture, and we're actually fattening on pasture on their genetics. It's going to be just what the genetics are allowing them to do. Of course, we can always feed them for a little longer and get them bigger. We're always dealing with growing animals here. They're not adults. But uh, what we find here is we, we won't have differences in sizes if we have a, a steady program, a fair program that would provide us with acceptable gains. If I hurt them from the beginning, if I put them through a, long, through a long restriction from after weaning, then yes, I may, I may hurt them and uh, off a pasture, I may not have the time to really uh, gain that growth back and compensate. So the compensatory effects that we sometimes we get in a feed yard, we may not get off of these pasture finishing programs. Is that making sense? Okay. Uh, and as long as we have enough fair rates of gain here at the beginning, look at the water holding capacity, the same, very similar. Uh, these are estimates of uh, shear force or tenderness, not much difference. Uh, what we have here with these letters have to do with the color. Pasture-fed beef tends to be a slightly reddish. Uh, this tells me that this here, however, was a little shinier. Hope you're enjoying the presentation and we'll jump right back in, but I wanted to first remind you to visit the show notes for freebies, deals, and more. 
While you're there, don't forget to join our email family to stay up to date on all the current events. Now back to the show. Uh, but looking at these numbers here, 35, 36, they're not extremely different. Uh, and uh, this 12 says that this, this, this fat here, actually, look at, if you look at this number, is less yellow than this fat here. And these were pin-fed, and these were actually pin-fed, also pin-finished uh, on a 40% hay diet. So is pasture-fed beef always more yellow or yellower? Not necessarily. Depending on where you are, the diet, and many other circumstances could create more or less yellow. So, uh, and this study, for example, where they were slaughtered uh, light, the animals were, the, 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 the muscle, the, the, that, the, that muscle was even wider, the fat was lighter in this grass fed compared to the grain fed. So, there is no, you know, a distinct uh, uh, difference there. And we have also found the reverse in some other studies course. But the, can you tell, just looking at the steaks, and see if I have any steak here. Uh, I'm going to have some in the, uh, later on, but uh, let me go see if I can find them. Okay, before I get there, uh, uh, what I'm trying to show you is that, that creamy, white-looking uh, uh, look of that, fire, uh, that fat is so uh, uh, difficult to separate by the eye that you have to do it with a machine. We do it with a uh, Objective, objective uh, test uh, with a machine that looks at reflectance, and then you can tell the, the stakes apart. Otherwise, they look so much alike. <coughs> and this study, what we did, we backgrounded the animals on, on hay, 40% hay diet, 70% hay, or 100% hay, and then they went to a pasture to be finished. See, we are in the, up, we're in the upside down world here. We, down there, we do the reverse <laughs> because we are the crazy, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I had this reviewer. I sent this article to these people, and they said, this interesting article, and we may, we may publish it. And he says, it's not because there's anything new, but you're doing it the opposite way. Did you try the real way? <laughs> and it's, uh, they have a point. Yeah. Who would background animals in a confinement situation then to put them on pasture? Well, many of us do that. Why? Because winters are always a problem in many of these parts of the world. And if you are weaning your steer your, or you find your calves in fall and you have nowhere to go with them because you have no winter annuals, no pastures that look green or, or nice or whatever, you have snow, what else do you have left? Silage, hay and you background them on that. And then when you have a, a spring, and grasses in spring, and, and, and you can bring them out to your pasture to fatten or finish. So that wasn't a crazy idea. That's something that some people would, would do. Uh, so what did we do here? We put animals through that situation, and when, then we finished them on, on alfalfa pastures and some um, annual green leaf corn. Uh, these were the hot carcass weights. And we had these guys here as a comparison, always on pasture. They had uh, winter annuals during winter time. 
40% hay in doing the backgrounding and then finishing on pasture had a similar back fat thickness as the pasture ones. This go, these guys here that were, were backgrounded on 70% hay or 100 hay, they were much uh, uh, leaner. The finishing was not as good. So they, they, again, these were wintered on this diet and then, then finished on the, on the same pasture as these ones were. Look at intramuscular fat, 3.302 here. So if, again, if pastures are fair, they are good, you are going to get to the 3% intramuscular fat. If you're not there, if you're 2% or below, or 2% like here, something may not be right. And if you have the potential, if you have the pastures, you have to be able to put some fat in your animals. Uh, look at the shear force. No differences here. They went through this situation, and this guy's here through pasture. So this is, in, my, in, in our part of the world, this is more expensive. We're feeding more hay or silage, whatever. But uh, it's more predictable if winters are a problem. And here we have a straight 100% pasture. Easier, but less predictable. From this standpoint, no differences on the physical attributes. Uh, however, a cooking loss, you see here it's a higher loss. This is moisture during cooking because when we have uh, less fat, extra lean or too lean beef, the cooking, proce the cooking process um, dries that meat a little more. So we lose more water. So some of this uh, attributes of this grass-fed beef or, 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 or desirable traits is that are the associated to that little amount of fat that prevents the, the, the cut or the meat from losing the moisture and becoming a, a dry steak or a dry piece of meat. So there we have a little problem. <coughs> this was the beginning. Uh, after this backgrounding period, we killed uh, a con control animals. And uh, they were six months, seven months younger than here. Look at the shear forces. They actually were similar or even higher than, than here. Yeah, but now, now I'm all confused, you may say, because you told me that they're going to get tougher as they get older. And now you're showing me that maybe six months older, they're not as tough, or they're actually slightly more tender than when they're younger. So that age issue is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is something to keep in mind, but we don't want to overdo that. We don't want to be killing animals lean and, too, and, and, and young because otherwise they're going to get tougher. Because we have, a, we have a window, we have a period of time there that they're going to be pretty much the same and maybe a little bit uh, less, a little more fat, more intramuscular fat, a little more, little, uh, more um, water holding capacity will help to reduce that, to wash the age, to wash the, 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 uh, the increase in age uh, of the animal. You, you see what I'm trying to say? <coughs> hmm? They get older, they gain a little more fat. They're not yet developing a tremendous amount of connective tissue, 
So that age may not be that important, that extra six months or seven months. Uh, again, here we're talking about animals that are below two years of age, so they're young. Okay? Look at the fat here. It's intramuscular fat is lower than this. So it is helping us to protect that meat. It cuts well anyway, and uh, so we don't have to rush to kill everything very, very young. And we can pull other things from there, but uh, <coughs> what else is here? Again, the lipid content at slaughter. These were too low, too, too uh, uh, extra lean, and the rest of them. See, these guys here backgrounded on a 100% hay. The hay was quality-wise a little bit all over the place. Gains were pretty low. Uh, they were always a bit behind in their lipid content in that muscle. <clears throat> we have a little problem here, however, when we look at these uh, lipid profiles. So from, from a physical standpoint, tenderness-wise, color, things look the same when we did some backgrounding on something that wasn't pasture. Okay? We, did, we backgrounded them on something else that wasn't green pasture. Things compensated at the end. They all look pretty much the same, except that one that had a 100% hay during six, seven months and didn't give us a, a minimum amount of fat. That was the story until this moment, right? Mm -hmm. Now we're looking at the lipid profiles. Let's go to the omega-6, omega-3 ratio here. These ones that had the backgrounding with a little more concentrate in them, although they were finished. Excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong. This one right here. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Go back. They were growing and we slaughtered them, that, that, that intermediate slaughter, after the, the confinement feeding. These guys had 60% concentrate. What do we, we expect uh, on an omega-6, omega-3 ratio? The highest ratio, of course. They were very light, young animals, but they had a little more concentrate here, a little more grain. These guys here had no grain. They had a protein supplement, and this had all, all alfalfa hay, and then these were pastures. These guys here had the, the highest ratio, and they all went well down until the, the green growing pasture gave us the best ratio. Hmm? These guys here had hay, hay, but it wasn't pasture available for them, so the ratio wasn't as good as this. Now, when they were finished on that, during the pasture phase, the, the ratio improved more than anything for this one right here, but still after, I don't remember how many days, but uh, 100, 120 days, 114 days on, on, on pasture, we still had this residual effect of that backgrounding in a confinement situation with grain that gave us a slightly higher omega-3, omega-6, omega-3 ratio than compared to this one that had no access to to a concentrate during the background period. Am I losing you with this? Yes, sir. This right here? What was that, the concentrate? This was a 40% 40, 40 uh, hay, ground hay. It had a, uh, here, 
uh, and the 60% concentrate was ground corn, uh, sunflower meal, which is like a, a soybean meal, and the, and the mineral premix. Um, so again, could we with uh, 150 days, you know, two months, four months of grazing, wash the history, wash the backgrounding? Maybe so for backgroundings that were on high fiber, high content of hay or high silage, but not so much for this backgroundings on concentrates. And we're talking here not 90% concentrate, we're talking 60%. So if we had kept the animals longer, <coughs> maybe, maybe 250 days would have done that, would have washed that off, that history of a pen feeding. I know that from another study that doesn't wash off. So uh, again, I would not expect uh, a ratio between these two groups of fatty acids close to a pasture one if the animals were exposed to this confinement situation uh, early on. However, would this work for you? Well, maybe yes, because this protocol of yours may say that you want something below 4%, 4 to 1. So this is way below 4 to 1. It's not the perfect world, but it's not as bad. Uh, um, again, here we're on a 100% hay. This is very similar. The only problem with this that we had, remember, the finishing was not as good. The water holding capacity was not as good. Maybe it was too lean, extra lean beef, and we couldn't compensate during the the pasture finishing phase, we couldn't compensate the six months of backgrounding on just alfalfa hay. Are we okay with this? What's your recommendation? If I could stay here, I would stay here. This is more, this is, this is easier and more reliable. However, some people may not have the choice of a winter forage, green growing winter forage. So I would target for something that is uh, one of these two. Uh, I would try to stay away of this energy concentrates of, if I could, of the starch-based concentrates. Uh, and the number one thing to look for there is, if I'm offering a concentrate, it, has to, it should, should be something that uh, would buffer the rumen. We, have a, we, won't, we won't drop the pH in the rumen. So that's hard to find. Well, there are some highly digestible fibers or um, sources of energy that may not drop the pH. In my part of the world, we don't have them available, but uh, in your case, you might. No, it's not seven. It's between six and a half, 6.5 to seven. It's not seven. Okay. It's never seven. And then you're saying on pasture, you can drop the, the rumen pH? In pasture, you drop the rumen pH is six and a half and seven. You could drop it if you are, uh, it's hard to drop it in pastures. Uh, but if I offer a supplement, like I said, a starch or Molasses, molasses in, in, a, in a high proportion, I could drop the pH to below six and a half, even to six, and even sometimes below to si below six. So we want to be careful with that amount of supplement. And if we drop below six and a half, the uh, activity of this bacteria that we need to create uh, this omega threes will decline in the rumen. 
If it's on grain 100% or 90%, we will be around five, five and a half, because the rumen keeps that buffering capacity also working full speed. It, when the animal gets intoxicated with acidosis in the, in the feed yard, you see the pH dropping below five to four and a half, 4.5, 4.8. That's an acidotic syndrome. Your lactic acid has a, brings everything to about four, the lactic acid. And that's why in, 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 in silos, or when you insile forages, you're targeting for four and a half or fours because of the <coughs> lactic acid. That's the, that's the pH for, or the pK for lactic acid. Tell what does uh, feeding silage do to the room versus hay? I hope you enjoyed this presentation. Well, check out the episode notes. And always remember the advice from cows and be outstanding in your field. See you next time.